Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. This podcast is powered by SportStrength. Your digital water cooler. Okay, you got it. All right, three, two, one. Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode of Caught in the Net. I'm uh, your co-host, Dave Severns, along with my good friend, Mike Procopio. Sweet Chuck, we are one day away from Game 6 of the NBA Finals. I'm sure this episode will go out after the Finals have been completed, but uh, we got one more one more day before Game 6. What are your thoughts, Sweet Chuck? My, 
my thoughts are you overrated our, our ability to turn these things around. This uh, next episode will air probably somewhere in between Halloween. free agency and summer league. Yeah. Well, maybe not. Maybe we'll get it out a little bit quicker today. Uh, this sure. this week, but anyway, I'm looking forward to to Game Six back in Boston. I, I expect Boston to play a little bit better, but uh, you know Curry right. can't play any worse or can't shoot it any worse at least. So it'll be an interesting game tomorrow. Um, so we we want to continue on. Actually, this is the, the last uh, episode that we'll have with position breakdown, Sweet Chuck, and uh, you know we've sure. gone through the point guards and the wing players. And so we want to talk about the big man, the centers, whatever you want to call them. Uh, so that's kind of the direction we're going to go today. And we're just going to discuss our thoughts on how we would go about developing high school, college, and NBA big men. Seth, before we go on any longer, do you have, do you have any corny fucking ads to run right now? Hey, I mean, sweet sure you got you'll love this. Yeah. So I get the, ad, sure. get the ad copy this week, and we only have to do one. Yeah, one ad oh. copy at the ten hey. at the ten percent mark of the show. I have no idea when that's going to be. <laughs> hey, the marketing de- the marketing department of sports drinks are really hitting out of the park now. Yeah. Huh? We're down to one fucking sponsor. Yeah, we got one Great. sponsor this time, but uh, we'll get to that later. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna go with big man, sweet Chuck, and uh, sure. So let's do it. Over, overall thoughts, sweet Chuck. Uh, on, on the big men before we really get into the weeds. The weeds. Yeah. Uh, not the, not the long, weed, hey, the weeds. Yeah. Hey, how long, how long did you, t- how long did you want to break that one out? Of? I mean, you probably waiting days for that one. Uh, I, I, I called Montrez Harrell and asked him when I should be using that one. Want, want, want. Um, you know, with the bigs, it's interesting because of the fact that, you know, when we're talking to high school, college, coaches about developing their big men like I think in the high school and the college game for the most part the you know it's traditional and, and you got some stretch bigs and but you got a lot of post up bigs and uh you know get, playing through the post where at the pro level it's it's done very little you know on most teams right. but I think that I think you need bigs at every level to be able to score in the post because even even if you don't throw it down to the post what what are you going to do when you switch when the defense switches one to five pick and rolls, like you got to be able to punish those smaller players and be able to at least develop something down there, and um, and you got to at least be able to pass out of that post. I don't care if it's high post or mid mid post or low post. So um, I think that I think the big man's here to stay. I think any team that's trying to win an NBA championship, college championship, high school championship needs some type of a big in their lineup and. You don't need to go to the traditional twin tower, four, five, six, eleven. Each, you know, big, big, and big. I mean, you can go a little smaller, but um, I think that there is there is use of a big man in today's game on on all levels. So no, it's interesting what's to talk. No, about. I totally agree, and, and and especially you know when you look at it, the NBA size does matter uh, at all positions, and, and as long as that basket remains at ten feet, you know, size and, and centers are going to be important. Uh, and and right. one thing you you hit on that that is important for our listeners think uh, I think Sweet Chuck is the fact that you know the college and the high school lane is so much narrower that you know that the post the post up game actually happens closer to the basket which is one of the reasons you see more of them you know with the NBA yeah. lane being so wide I think that's one of the other reasons you don't see as much 
uh, back to the basket post play. But let's start with the high school and the college post player and where we see much more low post, traditional low post play in the college and the high school game than you do in the NBA. So if, I, if, I'm, if I'm a high school coach and say I got a 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, you know, sure. center that, that can operate down low, what do you think the, 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 the couple of things that he needs to be able to do from that low block, Sweet Chuck? I think, I think be able to, you know, hooks with both hands, mm-hmm. Uh, coordination to be able to hook it from five or six feet out and in uh, and, and be able to face up and shoot, you know, from at least a five and six foot area post up wise. You know, before we talk about anything else, I think having good touch around both shoulders with both hands to be able to shoot hooks accurately. Um, it, something that they could rely on and go to and not even have to think about if they get it into their kill spot, be able to just to turn over a shoulder and, and, and to make something happen. What What are your thoughts, Seb? On I, I, I'm, I'm a big jump hook guy uh, over yeah. both shoulders. Now, naturally, most players are going to be dominant one shoulder or the other, but I think if they can work right. a little bit on both shoulders, I'm a big jump hook guy. Um, and the first thing I think you need to be able to teach, you know, high school and college post players is how to get position. You know, how, how to right. use their size, how to use their butt, how to use their arms and present a target hand and, and, a, and sure. an arm bar. So, I, you know, I think before you can get into the moves and the, all those shots and everything, you need to teach them how to get p- good position down in the post. Uh, no, I, agree. I remember one of the first things that when you and I first met, uh, you know, we'd always talk about post play and stuff. And, and you, had, you had this thing you called Norman Bates. No, Remember? You, I called you it. Called you it Norman did it. Bates I called it. I, I used to demonstrate it to you, and you called it the Norman Bates. I thought that was it looked like Norman Bates. But it was, it was basically how to establish position, you know, getting, getting into the defense and pivoting and how to establish position. So I think before we get into the moves, you know, uh, being able to establish position on the block. And also, Sweet Chuck, being able to play out of the high post. How do you, how do you get open and hold your defender off to be able to catch the ball at the high post is important. Yeah, I think, you know, before we get on the defensive side of the ball, I think establishing position is totally correct. I totally skipped that. And I think screening, those two things, I don't care how offensively gifted or skilled you are, I think as a big, you need to be able to at least do those two things, screen well, and we'll get into that later. But, like, establishing position is a great point because so many people want to get into the move without even – establishing what makes the move the move and that's establishing great position and i just remember going back to those nike camps you and i worked in indianapolis every year like we didn't have internet really that much back then we didn't we didn't have facetime or zooms or anything so you and i would literally see each other five days a year and at nike and then we would literally just like all right what's your new thing what do you got what do you got to show me (laughs) you'd give me one i'd give you one yeah I remember that big dog Glenn big Robinson dog. move, yep. and we just come up with like two or three new things, not 720, right. but like two or three things. And I'll be honest with you, like I, I put those, I'll put those things right in my notebook, and I was like, all right, that's what right when I get home to Boston and I work out Providence Colleges guys or whatever or whoever guys, BABC guys, mm-hmm. that's what we're gonna be working on. It's uh, so yeah, but. Uh, establishing position really important. Yeah, and then, and, and I think uh, once once you, once you've established position and you present a good target hand, to me, one of the big mistakes I think 
I see young high school post players make is when they catch the ball, they're really loose with it, and they don't chin the ball with their elbows out into into the position yeah. where they can be strong with the ball. So I think the, the positioning, the catch, and the chin of the ball, and I, I don't know what you feel, but I always like to look over, you know, my inside shoulder on the catch. That's what um, you know, you want to be able to look over your inside shoulder and see cutters and see passes that are available. Um, so what do you think about that, Sweet Chuck? Oh, for sure. No, you were always a big ad, you know, advocate for that, and um, I, I totally agree. I think but ball positioning at any position, but especially the post, is important because, you know, you know those long-arm big defenders are always trying to slap at the ball, always trying to, like, strip the ball. So being able to have good position, chin the ball at a position where you could really protect it from anyone trying to slap at it, not only your own guy, but, you know, wing def- wing defenders that are digging down in the post and, right. and things like that. I think it's important to be solid with the ball and do, and do that for sure. Yeah, and, and it's funny, you know, we some of the best post players that I've seen in high school were guys that were like 6'2", you know, six three football. Players. Yeah, those type of guys. Uh, some some of the best. Be honest with you, Sweet Chuck. One of the best low post players uh, in the NBA. Now this is going back when they used to post up a lot. Uh, was a guy that was about six five named Adrian Dantley. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he he used his rear end so well and his body position. You know, he wasn't very tall, but you know, Charles Barkley was the same way. Uh, so those guys I- scored. Really, before they even got the ball, with their great position. I'll give you another guy. I'll give you another guy that was fantastic, and I'm gonna give. I'll give you a small little story okay. that was fucking hilarious. Mark Aguirre. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mark Aguirre. He was my. He was the reason why I was a Mavericks fan. I remember, like, it, it I wasn't was a Brad Davis, Celtics fan. It was not. No, <laughs> I mean, that motherfucker has to talk to me first. You know, um, but like, it was funny. So Aguirre was always my favorite. Like he he was this little like this big fat guy that could just score on you in the block at at, at will. So we were at Grover's gym. We were at UIC mm-hmm. in Chicago, right. and Mark Aguirre came. I think he was working with the Knicks. We had Channing Frye in for a week. Sure, he came in to work out. Yep, and he was working out with Channing, and he literally says, "Okay, you got to." This is when I knew that like old school guys. Uh, probably wasn't good at teaching the newer school rules because he he literally said, Channing, to get position on your defender, you need to get both palms and literally lift up the player from the ribs and then, like, put your ass into him. And I, I was about to say something, just, like, ask a question. And I remember Grover just grabbed me and don't, he goes, don't, you don't. not ask... Do not say anything because I know you're going to fucking bust the guy's balls and you're going to be dead. And I'm like, yeah, that's a good point. I'll just, I'll just back away right now. <laughs> but literally, like, I was just scratching my head because that's how they established position right? in the 80s. They would literally lift you up, pick you up, and then post you up. I love Mark Aguirre, one of my top 15 players of all time, in my opinion, just to watch. Guys that I love right. watching. And, but yeah. yeah, We're going down memory lane a little bit here, but... Uh, one of my favorites in the, in the low post um, that was kind of undersized, what we would call undersized in the post, was a guy named Bernard King. And Bernard, Bernard King. was so good at yeah. establishing that low post position, and then that little turnaround jump shot was, like, unguardable. James yeah. Worthy and him were, were, were two 
great right. dudes with that stuff. So anyway, so we, yeah, we, you know, we talk about positioning, catching the ball, and then you know, you know, you don't need 19 moves. You know, you need a couple, a couple solid moves, a dribble drop, a jump hook, and then maybe a counter off of each, and then be able to face up, you know, and play facing the basket from the, from the low post position. Uh, you know, maybe if you have a little running hook, that's nice as well. Um, yeah, I think. I think a package of dribble hook, well, first of all, like, what I like to do is like, okay, so hook with no dribble or jump shot with no dribble over either shoulder, that's the first package. The second package is if you're a little more coordinated, <clears throat> dribble hook or a dribble drop, which is a dribble baseline, middle spin baseline right. hook. And then you get your face-up package right. where you get your face-up jumper, you know, face up towards the baseline jumper, that little Tim Duncan off the glass, face up uh, to the baseline, one dribble, run and hook middle, right. or the face up uh, dribble, basically face up to a dribble drop, face up to the baseline, dribble middle, spin back to the baseline mm -hmm. hook. And then two other things would be spin. No, one other thing would just be spin move to the baseline. I think those sort of package of moves – you know, you could probably take all of them. You could take two of them. Uh, but I think they're all pretty good and basic, and I think that most bigs should be able to do Okay. Now, the next thing, Sweet Chuck, that, that I've noticed in about the last 10 years that, that, that college and high school bigs have to be able to do is there, uh, there's so much of this, this uh, the driving, dribble driving offense now where they, where they want uh. the post player opposite of the ball. And so they have to be able to learn how to find those windows on penetration uh, and, you know, play from the baseline or the dunker spot and be able to be, yeah. you know, how, how to be available with your hands and your feet for drop-off passes on dribble penetration. Like, you know, if you're on the mm -hmm. opposite dunker and the guy drives baseline, you got to be able to find that little window at the charge circle. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if, the, if the penetration comes to the middle, you got to be able to circle around under the basket and be able to catch and finish quick in there. Those aren't mm -hmm. as, as skilled of plays necessarily, but I think it takes a lot of awareness and, and where to go on, penetra on, on penetration. Well, I think, yeah, Seb, I think a lot of big guys, you know, I think high school, college coaches could definitely attest. They might have bigs with terrible hands. Right. Or, or, or let, me, let me rephrase, not terrible hands, but like really bad offensive feel. So they would never throw it to them down block, but they're good enough with coordination where if they played out of the dunker or relocated on dribble penetration on ball side post-ups where the wing guy that catches can't give it to him, so he dribbles middle and he goes to the short corner or he the, the, the dribble goes to the baseline and he drifts up to the sort of free throw line elbow area to be able to operate there. So I think... Like, if you're not a skilled big or not going to get thrown the ball a lot, you, I think it's important to sort of be able to get into the ball handler's vision to try right. to, you know, try to get it if, if they put two on the ball and then he just sort of drop off to you. So, yeah, yeah, I think that's an important part. And that's of it. where, you know, having good hands comes into play. Cause you, and I, you know, I get asked this all the time, you know, at clinics and stuff. Can you, you know, improve a guy's hands uh, or is he just, you know, is he just not going to be able to catch the ball very well? And and mm -hmm. I tell him, yeah, I think you can improve a guy's hand. Not a great deal, but I think you can improve, uh, you know, a big man's hands 
And you just do a lot of pass and catch drills, you know, bad pass drills, quick, quick pass drills. I, I think mm-hmm. you can improve it a little bit, Sweet Chuck. Not a great deal. I mean, you know, some guys are just naturally gifted with unbelievable hands. But the guys that aren't, I think you can improve it a small degree. What are your thoughts on that? And would, well, and would you thought- do any work on that, like in your workouts with the big guy? Well, I always thought no, to be honest, just because mm-hmm. I've worked with it and players just never got better. Maybe I just wasn't good enough teaching that aspect of the game. I remember our strength coach in Dallas, Jeremy Holsopel, that like we had this guy named Bernard James. We called sure. him Saj. He was actually in the Army and played at Florida State. And we actually, he was an older rookie, like 26 maybe. And he had bad hands. And then Jeremy really spent a lot of time with him um, in the weight room doing hand exercises and things. And I'll tell you what, all of a sudden this kid was catching a lot. Not great hands after that, but considerably better. Um, I just haven't found the right teaching points, the right drill work to really improve a player's hand set. I mean, like you said, you played a lot of catch and bad pass drills and situations. But I really, if there was a weakness in my game with with developing players, I think developing hands is something that I haven't really done a, a good enough job with. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm just, I don't know. Like, what what's your... I know you said that you believe they can improve, right. but do you really think they can I, improve? I think, like you well, could take a- I've seen it. You know, we had DJ when I when I first got to the Clippers, John J. Jordan, and you know he he didn't have great hands, but I think we improved him a little bit. Um, right now, he could catch lobs, unbelievable, because really, you know, it was up high and it was an easy catch. But we're talking about like in traffic and bounce passes on a short roll, or you know, right. quick drop off passes from a guard. Those are the type. Uh, of things that we worked on with him. I, I, I do bad passing drills with him, like fire the ball, had him as fast as I could one after another, you know, and he'd have to catch it. So I think you can get a little bit better. Um, so now let's talk about the passing. Because a big that can pass and has vision is, to me, invaluable, Sweet Chuck. What are your thoughts on, on a big that can, that, that can really pass the ball? I mean, I think passing into any position really increases your value tenfold mm-hmm. if you have good vision and, and can make reads. But passing out of the post, passing out of pick and roll, a short roll, passing out of high post, mm-hmm. even being good enough to, like, get the ball, not being able to make a play, and then dribble up to one of the perimeter sure. players for a dribble handoff. So, I mean, I guess you could count that as a little bit of a pass. Yeah, play. it is. Yeah, yeah I agree. I, I think passing is very yeah, important. Yeah, and, and you know, and being able to pass out of the post on you know on double teams because if you're if you're scoring, especially in high school and college, if you're scoring, you're going to get double teamed. So being right. able to pass out of double teams and you know being able to skip the ball across to the opposite wing, being able to pitch the ball back out to the wing, I th- think those are really important things. Um, so be, being able to pass, and then the other thing, sweet check that we we kind of take for granted is the outlet pass. Mm-hmm. You know, the big's got to be able to outlet that ball up to the sideline to the guards. And, you know, it, it, it used to drive me nuts in an NBA game when, when the bigs would turn it over on outlet passes because they would just assume that the guard was going to be open up the court. They didn't read the defender. Um, and, and to bring up DJ again, he was he was one of the guys that would just drive me crazy with his outlet mm-hmm. passes because he wouldn't read the defense and the guard would come back and steal the ball. 
Yeah, and, and and I think you could add one more on that, that with ball ball handling to the outlet sure. pass where I was watching. You know, we had you know you, you, when you and I were out in California, we we had um, R.J. Jones, the kid, mm-hmm. um, the kids out of Florida, out of Gainesville, who's a lot like Al Horford. He, you know, he he wanted to watch a lot of film on Bam Adebayo, so I, I spent some time breaking down Bam's handling the ball on the break and. Look, I wouldn't do it for most bigs. I think he's a little bit of an anomaly with that. But being able to like get a rebound, like if there's no outlet right away, being able to take two or three dribbles up the floor sure. and then outlet sure. it, bust out that, dribble, or whatever they call it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh-huh. yeah. you're down with the lingo. Yeah, yeah we got, we got, we yeah. got to throw in some of the, you know, the tricky uh, phrases, sweet Chuck. Uh, the coach, tri- speak. the tricky, tr- the, the, the tricky coach yeah. speak. I got it. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, a passing's important. Yeah. The outlets, and, and yeah, obviously the best in the whole game right now. What we're talking about is is Jokic, uh, his ability to defensive rebound, take one or two dribbles, and then just, or even three dribbles, and make make the great pass uh, is important. Mm-hmm. Uh, so right. we've we've covered all that, sweet Chuck. Now the shooting for the bigs, you know, perimeter shooting. Um, I, I yeah. to me, if a big can make an elbow jump shot. You know, if he can make a pick-and-pop mid-range jump shot. Um, you know, let's forget about the three for now. But if you can make an elbow jump shot, maybe catching it on a pop or catching it on a flash, I think that's that's important to be able to work with those big guys on 15- to 17-foot jump shots. Yeah, I mean, um, I think that's an important thing. Before you get going nuts about three-point shooting – you know, like most people like to do, I think being able to um, make that little 15 to 17 foot shot because, you know, I remember, it's funny with Herb, um, we were at, we were at Portsmouth and, you know, I was, I wasn't in the NBA yet. I, I wasn't with the Celtics yet, but um, I were, we're at Portsmouth, and I was looking for jobs and work, and I was working with players. I remember, remember Lonnie Baxter. Oh, Maryland, Maryland, yeah. right? Yep. So they were looking for a workout guy for the draft. That was his draft year, and he goes, "Mike, uh, I'm going to introduce you to his agent." Now, his agent at the time was a, like either a Vander Holyfield or someone else's manager. They got into basketball, and he's like, "Look." You need to get Lonnie to make 15 or 17 foot jump shots. And that's really important. And he broke down the whole thing of why it was important and what I needed to do. And this is what he really needed for the draft and to get to be drafted in the first round. Um, But I remember him telling me how important not three-point shooting was because back in 2002 or whatnot, it wasn't really that important. But, you know, as far as like 15 or 17 foot shots, you got to be able to make. I agree. I think all bigs at all levels should be able to make at least that shot. Yeah. And you know what else is important, sweet Chuck? Oh fuck! Here we go. <laughs> go ahead. What, what, well, I what just need to tell you that you know today's episode of Caught in the Net is brought to you by Sports Drink, your digital water cooler, sweet Chuck. Sports Drink is a newly created internet community that tries to find the intersection and balance of sports and not sports. They're here to help us grow. Hate your favorite team. Love your favorite team. A rising tide lifts all boats, so go check them out online or on all their social, uh, sportsdrink.org, or open up your Instagram and just type in at sportsdrink, spelled like sports drinks, but 
with no vowels, sweet Chuck. No vowels. How about spell? How about spelling it like? Get us a fucking sponsor <laughs> so we can get paid. Yeah, I'm still waiting. I'm that? still waiting for some athletic green, sweet Chuck. Yeah, I- I'm still waiting for fucking anything. Okay, <laughs> it's like a well. All right, a dry yeah. well. Now, if you're okay. if you're a big that is able to stretch the defense, you know, high school, college, or NBA to that line, then then you become you you become a real threat. I and I think probably the guy that we would point to nowadays as being that true inside outside threat would be Embiid. Um, you know, because he I think he takes up to I think it's about four three point attempts a game, four to five. And he's at a pretty good percentage, and we obviously know what he can do. He's so big down on the block. But we, we see the bigs now shooting trail threes, shooting pop threes. You can't fall in love with those. You still, you're still the primary roller in the pick-and-roll game. But, you know, if they're able to stretch their range out to the, to the three-point line, that, that just adds a great dimension to their shooting switch. I wouldn't fall in love with yeah. it now. And if I and if no, I'm playing Embiid, I kind of would encourage that, you know. Uh, but it, it does have another weapon to their game. But you could progress. Um, I remember watching like Brook Lopez sure. when he was in Brook when he was at Brooklyn, and you know he was always a low post guy, obviously. But like pregame, they would have him shooting some corner threes, and I'm like, what the fuck are they doing that for? It's a little bit of a, it's not his game, but. What he was do, what they were doing. It, maybe they had an idea or not. They were slowly but surely bringing him out to be a stretch big, sure. and he, he's one of those bigs that's either stretch or you could roll him and then pop him out after the roll to the three point line. And he he became a pretty effective three point shooter. But I think over time, if you could start with like spot up shots from the corners, and then slowly get them moving around a little yeah, bit. Yeah, trail threes, you know, pop threes. Yeah, and I I think one yeah. of the guys who you worked with that has really uh, developed nicely in that area is Maxi Kleba with the Mavs. Sure. I, I think he's done a nice job of being able to, you know, kind of roll with some, some thrust and be able to pop and shoot trail threes as well. Um, now, you know, for yeah. a high school player, that's it's, it's kind of a rarity. I, you know, it's, it's rare where you're going to be able to find a high school guy that's able to do both. Um, I'll tell you what, if I was a high school kid at the end of a workout, I would probably spend – Maybe like I would probably take one minute of like if you had passers and rebounders, right. I would go one minute straight of uh, left corner threes, free throws, and one minute right corner sure. threes, just a rapid fire, see where I'm at, yeah. and then you know maybe you do it every day, and then you maybe it goes to a minute and fifteen and a minute and a half plus you know, and then you just sort of just get used to it and. Maybe it takes you a year. Maybe it right. takes you six months. Maybe it takes you two years. But eventually you'll be comfortable shooting it a little bit. But again, I think it's just sort of the slowness of developing, just being patient and maybe just implementing right. it small and then just building. And you know, you know? I, that reminds me, Sweet Chuck. I remember this is 1990 college basketball. 19, it was the fall of 89, I think it was, when Larry sure. Johnson first got to the, to the Rebels. And I went down oh, and watched the Rebels for a weekend practice. And, sure. and you know, here's this big, you know, strong 6'8". You know, Larry Johnson was a beast. And I remember watching, you know, Coach Gerg and, and those guys after practice, you know, keeping him out there for 20 minutes. And all they had him do was shoot top of the key threes, you know, trail threes. Yep. And I'm thinking, well, why are they doing that? I mean, there's, 
He is an unbelievable inside player. Why are they doing? Well, you know, they, those guys had the vision that I didn't. And they could see right. that, you know, in two or three or four years as an NBA player, this, this was going to be a big part of his game. And right. I think you're absolutely right. I, I would spend, you know, now they spent 20 minutes after practice, but, you know, with the Rebels, they overdid everything. You know, it was probably a four-hour practice to begin with. For good reason, yeah. yeah. But if you're a high school player, you know, and, yeah, I would, I would spend some time, you know, every day, you know, working on that three-point shot. And eventually, you know, they yeah. may get to it. And, and be pretty proficient. Yeah. Look, if you can't, if you just by yourself, maybe you take twenty-five threes on the left side, free throws, and then take twenty-five threes on the right, or you just or you rapid fire yeah, it. Whatever you no, got. but you got to be. You know, if it's a guy like DeAndre Jordan who we had, you're not going to do that. But if no. it's Blake Griffin, you know, you ab- absolutely yeah. do that. Or Maxi, or like you mentioned, Lopez, uh, those guys. And it's funny, sweet check that. One of the guys that has never really developed it is Draymond Green. I remember earlier in his career when we played him a long, long time ago in the playoffs, he was a little bit of a threat from the three-point line. And, Mm -hmm. boy, in the last few years, he's one of the guys that just has kind of abandoned it and will only take it if he's wide, wide open, and then it's like a force shot. Yeah, it's interesting. And again, unless you live with the guy and, and with him in practice every day, it's hard to say why or why not. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I agree. But maybe just spend so much time with that split action catching sure. on the block and making passes or um, in the short roll, maybe just he, he just that's not a shot that they really have him take. But it's always available to him once or twice a sure. game. So um, yeah, it's interesting. So offensively, I think the last thing, you know, it, it rebounding. I, I think offensive rebounding is so underemphasized in our game because guys rarely box out. And I think if you can develop the relentlessness and, and the read of the angle of the shot, offensive rebounds are there and they're available for guys that will put the effort into trying to go get them because there's so few teams that really do a good job boxing out, sweet Chuck. Yeah, I mean – the players that I work with with film, like I always tell them, look, when that shot goes up, don't don't look at the ball. Right. Like the first second when you know it's going to leave his hands, his or her hands, like that's when when everyone's looking up, that's when you try to get inside position on your, your opponent, right? especially if it's offensive rebounding because, A, they don't like to rebound. B, they're so ADHD that they're going to just look like a zombie up at the ball for like three seconds. And then once they wake up from their trance, you're right on the inside position. And if that ball comes anywhere near you, you, you'll, get, you'll have an opportunity for a rebound. I think there's so many opportunities for second chance points because of lack of focus and lack of rebounding. You know, even if you like listen to Dennis Rodman as crazy as he was, if you listen to him talk about rebounding, how, how, how he spent time boxing out, you know, boxing out opponents um, when he was an offensive rebounder, getting inside position and boxing out. I thought that was very interesting. Um, a guy who mastered rebounding like he did. Um, I, I definitely talked to players like that about what he said because I, I think it makes a lot of sense. And one of the, one of the, I think they stat this thing in the NBA anyway, sweet Chuck, but. What's that? Uh, fouls drawn by you going to the offensive rebound. And I remember, oh, you know, oh, back wow. to DeAndre Jordan again. He would get 
he would get a lot of fouls called on the opponents, you know, just by trying for the offensive rebound, you know, and, and, right. and doing like, like you said, you know, getting inside position. But how many fouls can you draw? You know, you may not get the offensive rebound, but how many fouls do you draw on your opponent just by making the effort to go get them? I think that's that's a really interesting stat to me. You know, we have all these analytics, but that's an interesting one to me. Um, sure. And now, Seb, are we talking about screening yet? No, no, no we're, we're going to go screening and then defense. Okay, okay cool. the, the lost art of screening, sweet Chuck, especially, oh, with, especially with so much pick and roll that's now being played and kind of drifting even down into the high school level and the college level. So, you know, being able to understand the angle of the screen without fouling and moving your, moving right. your hips. Uh, right. They have to be able to know how to sprint into a screen and be able to stop mm-hmm. without getting the charge, you know. Um, they have to know all the different angles of the screens, uh, being a physical screener, holding your screen. I, you know, I listen to, you know, coaches like Dan Tony talk about, you know, really not setting the screen, but, you know, kind of getting out early. And that and some of that stuff makes a lot of sense. It really does. But I, but I, I, before you can do that, I think you need to, you know, teach those bigs, especially high school and college bigs, the angle of the screen and how to set solid screens. Yeah, solid legal screens without, you know, without um, stretching your your sort of legs yeah. out where it's illegal. Right. You know, you want it in the legal area. And I think setting screens and even charting, I mean, people slip out of screens so much, so it's hard sometimes to chart. I remember bringing it to Carlisle once about like, hey, why aren't we charting? Just asking just a question, like because screening is so important. Why not? Why aren't we charting like percentage of either hits or forcing veers, right. like the offensive player to the defense way to veer, like an angle where we're going to get an advantage on a pin down or a pick and roll? And we started to do it. And I remember Dirk it was like because he slipped out a lot, like because he was slipping out to a pop and getting a shot. So like his percentage would be low. But like the percentage should be like seventy percent of your screen right. should either get hits or veers or force them to go under. And now I think yeah, that's a yeah, good yeah point. that's that's a good point forcing them to go under. And now they do have a thing called screen assists, you know. Yeah. So they they sure. kind of do. Of course, you know, they do. yeah, they got that. And it's interesting because I was uh, I was watching some film tonight on, on a player that I've been working with, an NBA player, and mm-hmm. uh, you know I went through all of his turnovers. He had eighty three turnovers. And mm-hmm. I went through every one, and 17 of those 83 turnovers were offensive fouls where he set screens. illegal screens, you know. So, now, you know, got to work on, you know, not not throwing your hip out of your leg too wide and things like that. Yeah. You know? Were they were, were any of them because of, like, the point guard leaving early? Uh, or you know, and I looked screens? for that closely, and no, none of them were. Sure. None of them okay. were. They were. They were. They were on the big. But I see your point because sometimes it's it's you know the point guard leaves early and then you know the big ends up getting the foul. Uh, so screening screening is important. Um, and now the last thing, sweet Chuck, is we finish up with the bigs. You know the defense. Uh, at, at the NBA level today, bigs that can guard a switch. You know, keep the ball in front and contest and not, not get beat on, on a straight line drive are so valuable, um, mm-hmm. you know, because now you're, you're, you're not uh, put in a position where you have two on the ball 
and, and you know, be forced into rotations. Yeah, the switching is important for sure. And I mean, I think so much of it because you, you're going to end up being, you're going to end up defending a, a ball handler multiple times in a game, you know, especially with all the switching that goes on. So being able to play one-on-one against a point guard every I day. I think that's huge. You'll fi- yeah, find 10 yeah. minutes a day, play yeah. one-on-one. Like, you know, make it fun. And just being able to do that, I think it's an important part of, so to your development of, as a player, right. for and sure. Then, and then low post defense with the bigs. You know, again, yeah. we go back to positioning. They have to know how to three-quarter, be physical, push the catch out without getting fouls. They have to be able to three-quarter. Okay, they have to also be able to play behind. If the, if the player is not a real scoring threat, they have to be able to right. play behind. They have to be able to front the post, you know, on a full front. Um, so the right. different positioning in the post, I think, is important. And then also being able to guard um, a driver from the elbow, um, I think, is, is important oh, yeah. for bigs. You know, can you can you guard another big who wants to drive the ball from the elbow? And then the last thing defensively, so we talk, we you know, we haven't even got into all the pick and roll coverages they got to be able to execute. You know, can you oh, show? No. Yeah. Can you be up to the level of the screen? Can you play in a drop? Can you, um, you know, can you show a wall? You know, all all those different tricky coverages that coaches come up with now. Uh, you have yeah. to be able to execute I think those. Sh- yeah, I think knowing the transition of arm bar when a guy's backing you down to showing both hands when they turn because mm-hmm. they turn quickly mm-hmm. and if you get caught with your hand in the cookie jar when you still got an arm bar and they just sort of sell it, you're going to automatically get a foul. So. Being able to transition to that and show your hands at all times and box out and you know all those things I think are pretty important that's, that's, on the defensive and one of the side best, of the ball. Now we're talking about college post play. One of the best coaches I've seen teach college post play defense was Rick Majerus, and I, mm-hmm. and I remember you know watching him teach it, you know with the belly up and and showing both hands nice and wide. Um, I thought he was a really good post defense coach. You know, in college. Now, pro is a, pro, pro is a different technique. But for yeah. college and for high school, I thought he was really good at teaching those guys uh, post-defense. Yeah. And, you know, Seb, like, I don't know. I mean, yeah, pros, there's some different stuff that goes on. But you got to be able to, again, defend without fouling, showing your hands, moving your feet, angling. I think some of the, the coverage stuff is di- much different. But I think a lot of the basic fundamental defensive principles in in college, you know, you'd probably see in the NBA a lot. And, you know, like I said, some of the things are different for sure. But I think there's some sort of similar sort of territories on that. And transition defense isn't at at any level. You know, the big, Mm -hmm. you know, has to be able to get back and load to the ball and and get back there quick. And, And that brings into play conditioning. I mean, the bigs are asked to play almost baseline to baseline, you know, where the guards don't always have to do that. And those bigs are playing, you know, 94 feet, 84 sometimes in high school, uh, running back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And so conditioning, I think, is really big when it comes to – if you want to be a really good player at any any position, you got to be in great condition. But um, And then free throw, sweet Chuck, you know, that, that is the problem for so many big players is the free throws. Yeah, got to be able to stay in the floor. Yeah, you know, you, we how many times do we see where you know they got to get that big off the court because of, of you know 
fact that he can't make free throws. So we've seen that. I, to- so. I, I totally agree. I totally agree. You know, and floaters yeah. and, you know, short oh, roll so and pick and pop and pick and roll and all that stuff. I, I think some Yeah, we didn't well. cover the floaters on offense at all. Um, no, that that would probably come more in the short yeah, roll and right. hand off to a roll and pop and you know. Well, I think look, there's so much done with the hard rolls and the pops and the short rolls and floater is important. The little jump shots important. The passing out of the short roll is important. But look, I mean, I think we covered the meat and yeah, potatoes of it. I, I think, think so. You know the yeah the roll pop stuff's important, but like I think we really got into the post and the defense and the screening and. Passing and you know what 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 we really feel is always important. I think it's it was a pretty cool segment. All right. <laughs> um, all right, sweet Chuck. Well, anything else before we wrap up here tonight? Nah, you got nothing for me. Uh, well, we had all this extra time now that you didn't have twenty two more ads to read. Yeah, that, that's you usually you usually you know the, usually the Howard Cosell of these fucking uh, these you know. These uh, marketing campaigns. They must have fired a bunch of marketing people at Sports Drink because, you know, we had a lot more. We had a lot more copy last yeah, month. Yeah, copy. Yeah. Copy. All right, sweet Chuck. Well, until next week, I, th- I think that's it. And uh, you've been caught in the net. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars. But as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.